0: 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Actually, we'll start in verse 14, the verses we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Although I hope to come to you soon, 1 Timothy three fourteen. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Right, The pillar and foundation of the truth. We've been in this series really since the end of summer, asking ourselves, do we love the church? Do we love the church? Right? And so we've been looking at, uh, biblically, what is the church? If we're going to love, if we're called to love the church, what is it? And so we've learned that it's, it's the bride of Christ, it's the household of God, God is building the church, all these things. And the last few weeks, we've been on this, uh, this verse has been launching us off, the pillar and foundation of truth. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, Lord. Now as we turn our full attention uh, to Scripture. In fact, Scripture says that your word is truth and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. And so uh, as you have described the church as the pillar and foundation of truth, we ask you this morning, Lord, would you please uh, open our, our minds and our hearts to understand what truth is biblically. Because if we're supposed to be upholding it and uh, demonstrating it to uh, to one another and then to our community and the world, we got to know what it is from your perspective. So, Lord, uh, uh, would you lead us and guide us now? And, and Lord, again, we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. And, and we believe that as we appropriate your truth, as we obey your truth, that you will transform us uh, from the inside out. So, Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The last few... Uh, Sundays, if you've been with us, I've started with a video, some some really cool videos that, that have really kind of uh, piqued our interest and in, in sort of introduced uh, this idea of truth. What is truth, right? Uh, you know, we saw one definition of truth sort of in the worldly, uh, maybe a secular definition would be truth is telling it like it is, that which corresponds to reality. Pretty much a simple definition, right? And then we saw biblically that truth is tied into God's nature, His character. God is the God of truth. Jesus is the truth. God's Word is truth. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Right? So we started and we've launched with those two foundational definitions of truth. Telling it like it is, corresponds to reality, and intrinsically, inseparably connected to God's character, will, nature. Okay, that's that's the biblical view of truth, right? You see it on the front page of your notes there. Instead of a video this morning, I wanted to start with a picture. Some of you may have seen this. This is Ward Melville High School. It's a Christian club called Students United in Faith. And uh, if you're not familiar with this story, last school year, they wanted to start a Christian club. And the school said no. So they got in contact with the Liberty Institute, which is a, a law firm that specializes in these issues. And last year, the school reversed when Liberty Institute got involved. This year, just a few weeks ago, students united in faith wanted to start a Christian club again. The school, believe it or not, said no. Made national news, got on the phone. Hello, Liberty Institute, you're not going to believe it. And Liberty Institute got involved. And uh, this is a picture of them that came out this week of the Christian club at Ward-Melville High School. You see, there's a law in the books called the Equal Access Law, which basically says this. If a school allows a chess club, if a school allows any type of civic club, student-run, student-initiated club, they must allow a Christian club, equal access. They cannot deny Christian students who follow the same protocols and the same structure as all the clubs, you can't deny that. And so based on the equal access law, which is applicable to every school across this country, they had to reverse. They had to reverse. Why do we begin this this morning? Because question to me as I was, as, as I was reading that is, if you were one of those Christian students and the school just said, no, you can't, what would you have done? Okay. Or would you have stood up for really truth? What's on the books? What's on the books? See, and there there was two of the guys, I don't know which ones for sure, but they stood up last year and they were the ones that stood up again this year and they're getting kind of applause for, for religious liberty, right? But see, they didn't just accept what was told to them. They engaged the culture. They engaged the school leadership. They even made the phone calls that they needed to make because they knew what was right. They knew what was on the books. They engaged their school. Okay? And and I wanted to introduce that because as we are looking at truth and being the pillar and foundation of truth, here's the, here it is, guys. As the church, right, we, we sort of pat each other on the back and we all resonate with the definitions of truth here on Sunday morning, right? But where are we called to bring the truth? Out that door and out that door. And what are we going to do when we have to engage our culture? What happens when... Oh, I don't believe that. and I don't believe that. You guys over there on Sunday morning at that Wesleyan church, you realize that's 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 God's Word and that's the Bible and that's truth? Oh, I don't how are you going to engage our community, the culture, in these issues of truth, right? And, and I just lift up these, these, these students just, you know, as a former youth pastor. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. They knew the truth. They knew that they had, under the Equal Access Law, they knew the truth. You can't deny us. So they didn't just roll over. They stood up and it took courage. I'm sure their hearts were beating. I'm sure they were nervous. I'm sure they were anxious. But they stood up for what they knew was on the books, for what was right. And, and praise God, right, they're meeting and they're glorifying God. And, and what was amazing, right, this school said no and wanted to kind of shoo the Christians away. And God said, no, we're just going to show the entire country. We're going to flip this around and the entire country is going to know even being reinforced about the equal access law. And, and really what's right, right? So I give props to these these students for standing up for truth, but also uh, I thought of us today... Uh, go ahead, Chai, you can bring it up. I thought of us today, how do we engage the culture? How do we engage those that disagree with us in our view of truth? And then we're going to see at the end, right before we take communion, the question is going to be, this issue of truth, how do you engage yourself when the devil the father of lies comes and starts lying to you about your own stuff when we rehearse the stories in our brain and all the things that happen to us and all the lies and all the things and all the accusations come how do you how do I engage the lies that we still carry around about who we are about freedom freedom about being a new creation in Christ, about being a saint, right? So, so we got to engage the culture with truth, but here's, here's the deal, guys. In this process of sanctification, we also need to learn to deal with truth when the lies come into our head. It's just as much as a truth war out there and in here. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. You deal with it the same way, with God's truth, right? So on your, on your notes there, you see that uh, the first part on that one one sheet is basically a review of where we've been, right? So let's turn to Acts, Acts 17. So we're going to look at Paul's trip to Athens and we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at what we learn about how to engage our culture, how to engage our culture with truth, right? So this is Apostle Paul, second missionary journey. He travels to Athens, right? So, Acts 17. Acts 17. Let me look for real quick. All right, going start in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he realized, or he reasoned in the synagogue, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So verses 16 to 21 sort of set the stage. And we saw this last Sunday, right? Athens, right? The home of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, right? This is about 400 years after the heyday of Athens, right? So Paul, uh, Paul arrives 400 years after. And if you notice, I say Athens slash ish Because Athens, at this time when Paul arrives, is pretty much like Ohio. There's about 10,000 people, okay? But there's about 30,000 idols, okay? The Epicureans, their, their mantra in life was enjoy life, right? The chief end of man is pleasure. Maximize pleasure, minimize pain, the Stoics, their their mantra would be endure life. They were pantheists. Everything is God. Everything. God is everything. God is everywhere. Everything is God. And uh, we just have to use our reason and our self-discipline. And we just have to endure life and get with this pantheistic view. Right? So basically, Athens was like hi. Hey, come on in. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. In fact, what we do is we just go to Libby. We just go to Libby Park and we spend all day and we just chat. And everybody gets a chance to share what they believe and we just bat things around and we just talk about all the different religions and philosophies. And everything is just good, right? So that's, that's the culture. That's the city that Paul walks into and it just happens to be the city that we're gonna about to walk out to, right? So it says that Paul comes in and he, he's distressed. He gets burdened for it. And how many of us have ever been burdened for Ohio? You still have that burden? You still have that burden? One time we met with the guys here, and I said, we're going on a field trip. Was it the guys or the worship team? I think we did both. And we, we, we walked from here to Bliss. And we were we were praying for the city. And I encourage you, one of the things, if you want to get a burden for your city, don't make it a big deal. Just park here and just walk up and down the main drag and pray. And ask God to show you your city from His eyes. Ask God to give you a burden. See, some of us get so tunnel-visioned, going to work, going home, we forget about our city that we live in. So if you want a perspective of your city, just walk up and down and, and pray. Pray for people you don't even know. Pray for the employees. Just pray. If you want a different perspective, go to Shelf, sit on that bench, and pray for the city. See, sometimes what we need to do is, is kind of... Till up our heart, our hearts that get kind of complacent and just kind of used to oh hi, and our routine and our route. How many of you come to church the exact same way every Sunday? Go a different route. Oh, right? We get so used to things. Go a different route, and then pray for the people on that different route. You might go a different route and find out some somebody new for thirty years lives on that street. Hey, you live here? Right. Sometimes we just need to shake it up. Paul had this burden. He was distressed for Athens. First word of encouragement, develop a burden for, for, for this valley again. If you need to go, to go up to Shelf Road and look at it from a different perspective, go do that. If you need to walk up and down here and get yogurt on the way, that's fine. But pray for people. Pray for the skate park. Pray, just, just, if you will ask God to open your eyes to to Ohi, He will. He will. Okay, so just a couple, couple ways that you can develop that burden, that, that heart for our city, right? So Paul comes into this, and he shares the good news. And they're like, hey, okay, this is, some guy's blew him off. Oh, he's a babbler. Other guy said, hey, come here, Paul. We're going to take you to the council, kind of like the Supreme Court, kind of like the head council, Ariel Pegas, right, is on top of Mars Hill. That's where this sermon on Mars Hill comes from. It was this council, the council of the city where they talked about all the big things, religion, justice, law, education. He said, hey, come talk to these guys. Okay? Come talk to these guys. That's, that's where we are. Okay? So let's keep reading in verse uh, 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. Right? So here's the crazy thing. Out of those 30,000 idols, right, there was a whole lot of them with inscriptions that said unknown God to an unknown God. It wasn't just one. Right? And there's a couple of reasons for this if you, if you research it. One person says, well, the Athenians were so concerned about offending their gods that they just sort of did a catch-all. all Okay, we got 20,000 plus to all the gods we know about. And by the way, if there's any gods out there, we don't want to offend you. So you'll be under the unknown God. Right? That, that's kind of where that comes from. The other thought was about 600 years before Paul arrived, there was a plague in Athens. And they tried to deal with this plague. And one guy came up with this idea. Let's just release a whole lot of sheep out into the city. And wherever the, the sheep lays down, you sacrifice it right there to the nearest temple God. To the nearest God or the nearest temple. Right? So they release all these sheep. And sheep are laying down. And they said, if a sheep lays down and he's not near any idol or temple, you just say unknown. That sacrifice was made to the unknown God. Okay? So that's where this comes from. So Paul walks in and he goes, man. Okay. So what he does is he begins to build bridges, right? He builds bridges. He says, okay, Athens, lots of idols. How am I going to connect with this culture? How am I going to connect with this community, right? How are we, how are you, how am I going to connect with hi? Well, you've got to understand it. You've got to understand it, right? So he understands it. And he begins, he says, right, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found... an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. He says, okay, I'm going to build a bridge. I'm going to acknowledge that they're quote-unquote religious. But I'm going to get their interest because this unknown. I'm going to tell them what the unknown is. So he's starting to build bridges with them, all right? He has dialogue. He's initiating. He's not just coming in and saying, ah, you bunch of losers. You idiots, what are you thinking? He's not doing that. He's not coming in like a bull in a china shop. He's trying to build bridges. Right? He's trying to build bridges. He's trying to understand the culture, where they're at, and how can we begin a dialogue. That's what he's doing. Okay? Very important for us to understand that. If you've seen your notes there, it says bridge building with the listeners, right? We've talked about postmodernism. Our culture lives in a culture that is subjective in truth. Right? We've talked about this the last two weeks. We're the source, according to postmodernism, we're the source of truth. The most important thing in in that culture out there in postmodernism is what? Does it work? Does it feel good? Is it your personal preference? Right? We've talked about this. Postmodernism, their definition of truth has been elevated to belief, preference, taste, opinion, and I saw one this week, political correctness. See, the substance isn't important to our culture anymore. In postmodernism, something corresponding to reality isn't the important thing anymore. It's, is it your belief? Is it your opinion? Is it your preference? Is it your taste? Is it politically correct? That is now how postmodernism views truth. We talked about that, right? Biblically, we say truth is objective. There is a God that is apart from us. God reveals his truth. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. It comes to us. Okay, so that's the difference. We also saw that postmodernism views religions from this same view, right? Anyone ever hear all roads lead to God? It's the same thing, carried over into the religious realm, right? All roads lead to God, everything, right? The problem with that is I just got this book called Understanding World Religions, a Bible based review of 50 faiths. And if you were to peruse, these 50 faiths you're going to see everything under the sun about Jesus and and postmodernism will say hey that's okay that's okay that's their preference that's their opinion right biblically we say that can't be because god is logical and rational and two contradictory statements can't be equally valid right so it starts with christianity jesus is god Jesus is fully God, fully human, Messiah, right? What we believe, Orthodox Christianity. Then the rest of the book is, Jesus is not God. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was not the Messiah. He was a misled guy. Jesus doesn't even matter in a lot of these Eastern religions. Jesus isn't even... So how does that work then? If you got four people from four different faiths, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is not God. I'm not even sure Jesus existed, right? And in our faith, it doesn't even matter whether or not he did because he was just a normal guy. How do we reconcile that? The world just says, oh, that's fine. The world says, it's all opinion, it's all. We say, no, that's not right. Jesus is God or he's not God. One or the other, you have to pick one. It's an issue of truth, it's an issue of being right, right? And that, that's what kind of makes us stand out in our culture now is because we say, no, Jesus can't be God and not God at the same time. Those can't sit as equally valid statements. There's a law of non-contradiction. We'll talk about that next week, right? There's a law of non-contradiction that doesn't allow that in logical, rational thought, right? So Paul understands that. He comes into that, right? Turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. These are some practical helps this morning for us to engage our culture and understand our culture when we go out in dialogue with them about Jesus. About God's truth. Okay? First Corinthians two fourteen. So we gotta understand the culture, right? Postmodernism in, in truth and in religious truth, right? We gotta understand that's that's where our culture is. We also have to understand some spiritual truths. Okay? Look at first Corinthians two fourteen. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So as we go out to engage our culture with God's truth, we have to understand that without the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? They're not really going to get it. In fact, they're going to think you're a fool. And what we're saying is foolish. Okay, does that mean we're not supposed to go share? No. It just means when we go out and we engage people in dialogue or when conversations come up, we have to understand, as a believer, who indwells us? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who has opened our eyes to God's truth. Does the non-believer have the Holy Spirit? No. So you are supernaturally different. So I put these verses in here so you understand, if you're dialoguing with a non-believer, expect that they're not going to get it completely. It doesn't mean you can't reason with them. It doesn't mean you can't dialogue with them about, you know, just common sensical type of things. But you have to understand at the very beginning, they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they're not going to get it. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Because then you just go, ah. Oh. Because how many of you like to win arguments? Come on, put your hands up. How many of you like to win arguments? How many have ever got frustrated when you feel you are so right, da, 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 and they refuse, to say, they refuse to give in? Anyone? Anyone ever walk away and go, I can't believe that. I'm so right and they're so wrong. Anyone? Are you sitting next to someone that that's happening? No, don't do that. Okay, right? Right? But understand, at a supernatural spiritual level, you're going to get that. You're going to share what seems very basic and simple to you. Hey, Jesus died for you. John. You're going to quote John 3.16 and they go, huh? That's kind of silly. Why would he do that? Right? So instead of getting angry, instead of getting frustrated, what you do is you just understand. You have to be, It's an understanding. It helps you have compassion for them instead of anger. Patience with them instead of anger, okay, instead of frustration. Expect persecution. What did Jesus say? Hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to do the same to who? Okay, do this and do this. <laughs> you have to expect it. In first Peter says, hey, don't be surprised by the trials you're, you're, you're facing, right? So how is this a help? When we go dialogue with the community about truth, expect that they're not going to get it because they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's what, We got that. Expect that they're going to react to you kind of like the same way they did to Jesus. And remember I told you two weeks ago, what did truth cost Jesus? His life. Jesus uncompromisingly and unapologetically stood for truth. And it cost him his life. So we have to understand. And he says in John 15, hey, if they did that to me, they're going to do it to my disciples. How is that a help when you all go out there? Again, it's a help because you understand your audience. And their reactions don't surprise you. Their reactions don't hurt your feelings so much. Their reactions don't cause you to get defensive. In fact, when they react by not getting it, when they act with persecution, when they act with name calling, you just go, oh, okay. I knew that was going to happen. It doesn't make it right. It just makes it more okay. You, guys, you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Because <sighs> how many of you like being called names? How many of you have people in your life that know how to push your buttons? One thing they say, oh, you did not say that. You didn't go there, right? Well, people know, and they have their little triggers for Christians. And they'll just try to, instead of dealing with truth, they'll just try to get under your skin. They'll just try to make these, you know, false arguments. And they're, 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 oh, you guys, are, and they just try to name call. And all they're trying to do is bait you into a big argument. They're just trying to deflect. I'm Put these in there so you understand. I don't have to get sucked into that. I just have to share the truth. Amen? Here. Success in being a witness for Jesus is sharing the truth and letting God take care of the results. You just have to be the ambassador. You just have to speak the truth and you let God deal with the results. Amen? How many of you like that? You don't have to keep hammering them until they say uncle or recite a prayer. Sometimes, you know, we it's like, oh, but I didn't succeed because they didn't say the prayer. No, you succeeded because you opened your mouth and you let God's word flow. Amen? That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And then let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. this is a wonderful reminder we use this in our in our summer series when we were talking about cults and world religions right so what should be our attitude and approach well we're we're knowledgeable about how the world's going to respond or not respond but we can also be proactive in our choice of attitude and approach first Peter 315 but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord always be prepared okay say say everyone say be prepared okay that's number one you got to be prepared you got to study you got to know your stuff Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. There's our approach, guys. When we're going to engage the world in truth, we're going to be knowledgeable about where they're coming from, but we're going to say, okay, Lord says when I go out there, I'm going to be prepared, and I'm going to do it with gentleness and respect. And that's going to be really a God thing because... The world is not really kind to Christians right now. We are called a whole lot of things. And I, I put a word in there that, that is a trigger word, and it, it's, it's a very harsh word. And sometimes we're afraid to, afraid to share our faith and afraid to stand up for truth because we get labeled. And there's a word out there floating around that I want you to understand, and it's this word, bigot. That's a powerful word. And nobody in here would want to be called a bigot. Right? But what is a bigot? Because people will throw that around. All you Christians, you're just bigots. That's just bigotry. And you're like, oh, that's kind of harsh. How do we deal with that? What's the biblical response to that, right? Let me give you a definition from Merriam-Webster. It says, bigot, a person who strongly and unfairly dislikes other people, right? I think it's a person who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices, especially, and say this, one who regards or treats the members of a group with hatred and intolerance. See, the word bigot, the, the, the world uses it in a very convoluted way. And really, the bigotry is more about how I'm going to treat you. What is my attitude towards you versus the truth that I'm sharing? You guys understand? Look at the quote I put in there. I love this quote, and I pray that it helps us all understand from a biblical view, a biblical view how to deal with this word bigot that's thrown out there. Truth is not bigoted. People can surely be bigots, whether they are Christians or atheists or something else. I have seen both relativists and absolutists who are bigots. How we approach and communicate truth is what determines bigotry and narrow-mindedness. But truth is truth. It can be presented in a loving, kind, gracious, and humble manner, or it can be presented in an arrogant, defensive, and obnoxious way. Amen? Okay, so, so if anyone calls you a bigot, you understand? Hey, dude, truth is not bigoted. And if you're doing it in gentleness and respect and love, does that help? Because that's just a powerful word that's, that's thrown onto the Christian church, left and right. And, and, I, and I read that and I'm like, we're not dealing with, with beating people over the heads and treating them disrespectfully and bashing. No. I love the first phrase. Truth is not bigoted. People can be, Right? As much as people want to claim that people on, in the church or on the right are bigoted, you know, you can see that in atheists and people on the left. It's how you treat people. It's how you treat people. It's not, it's not really dealing with truth. Is that helpful? Okay. I want you to take that and understand that. And finally, turn to John 8. So we have these very practical ways that we can be prepared to engage our culture, our community. And I love this. I put the word freedom there. John eight, Jesus, is dialoguing with the Jews. And he says this in John eight thirty-one. It says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, right? If you hold to my teaching, your word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. Then you will know the what? To the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to start, and and, and before we go to communion, I just want to encourage you with this. Jesus came, not to fill our head with a whole bunch of head knowledge. He came that we would know Him. He is the truth. And if you want freedom, He came that we would be set free. Free from uh, the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin, and ultimately free from what? The presence of sin. After the end times, Right? Jesus says, Hey, if you know me, there's freedom. There's freedom. You look at the Apostle Paul, he goes into Athens, this very hostile city. And what does he have? He has freedom. Why? Because he knows Jesus. And if you want freedom, if you want freedom to just be be who you are in Christ, you gotta know the truth. You gotta know him first and foremost. You gotta know his word. You've got to be spirit-filled because it's the spirit of truth who's opening His truth, right? And then what? There's freedom. Freedom. Jesus says, you know the truth. You know me. You know my word. you got the Holy Spirit in you. You're free. Let's go live in freedom. And then we'll close with this before communion. Turn to Galatians. Galatians 5. I love this verse. Galatians five one. And we're going to jump into communion. So Jesus says, hey, if you know the truth, truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. you got to know Jesus, right? His Word is truth. You've got to know the Word. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. You've got to be Spirit-filled, submitted to the Holy Spirit, walking in obedience. And then he says this. I love Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and... And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I love that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does He set us free from? The law, right? He set us free from being slaves to sin. Amen? Right? But here's the thing. The truth will set us free. The question is, do you believe the truth? How many of you uh, would say you're saved? Now, how did you get saved? According to the Bible, how did you get saved? You were saved by grace through faith, very blood of Christ. How many of you, someone shared that or you read it in the Bible and you said, that's true. How many of you? That's true. See, when you put your faith in Christ, let me explain something. What you simply did was God's truth was spoken to you and you put your faith in God's truth. It was true whether or not. You believed it. it was, you just affirmed his truth for you. You guys understand that? Right? Jesus died for you, John 3 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? You affirm that truth. How many of you affirm that truth? Okay, if you affirm that truth, you're saved by grace to faith, right? You're a saint. Do you affirm that truth? <laughs> right? You're a new creation. Do you affirm that? Right? Right? You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Do you affirm that, Ernie? Right? You see? In sanctification, we're, all we're doing is continuing to receive and appropriate and affirm God's truth. Just like you did when you were saved. And so when the lies come and the devil accuses you, Robert, you remember the past. You remember your past. You remember what you used to fail at. You remember how you used to blew it all the Right? Right? and the devil comes lying at you, lying at you with all these truths and accusations, what do we, what's, our, what's our answer? God's truth. Robert says, no, I'm a new creation. No, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say when the devil tempted him? What is Jesus' response three times? It is written. I want to encourage you. The truth doesn't just set you free from going to hell and the penalty of sin. The truth sets us free every moment of every day as we appropriate it and believe it and affirm it in our life. Amen? When you are tempted by something and the devil comes lying, Brenda, Brenda, remember, what do you do? It is written. I'm no longer a slave to sin. It is written. I'm a new creation. It is written. I'm a saint. Isn't that awesome? Then all of a sudden you start to smile. And your neighbor says, what's gotten into you? Well, you know, God says a whole lot of incredible, great truths about me, and I just started to believe it. I just woke up one morning and said, okay then. Amen? How many of you need just like an okay then moment? Well, okay then. It's the same thing. Hey, uh, Wes, I got a million dollar check for you. Write it out. Give it to you. Don't cash. Oh, oh, thanks. Thank you. And you put it to the side. And Olivia's like, what are you doing? Cash the thing. Cash. Cash it. God repeatedly says all these incredible, wonderful truths about you, and he's like, why aren't they cashing it? Amen? So when we take communion this morning, celebrate, remember that Jesus set us free from the penalty of sin. But he also set us free from the power of sin. And it all goes back to knowing the truth and cashing in his truth every day. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for equipping us to uphold the truth and take it into our community through the example of the Apostle Paul in Athens. And now thank you for reminding us that the truth sets us free, knowing the truth. And if there's someone here that does not know Jesus, I pray that at this very moment they would simply accept and affirm that Jesus died for them. That God demonstrated His love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so, Lord, to be saved, we simply say, Lord... I understand Your truth. I understand who Jesus is. I understand, according to Your truth, what Jesus did for me. And by faith, I am appropriating that for me. I am resting fully in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have made that salvation decision. Those of us who have walked with You maybe for decades, and we just need an okay then moment. Every day You write us checks. Every day, you fill, you fill us with truth. And yet, Lord, for whatever reason, we put them aside, put Him aside, put Him aside. And no, maybe, maybe, maybe this morning we just say, no. Okay, then. I am a saint. I am complete. I am loved. I am accepted. I am pleasing. I am a new creation. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. So, Jesus, as we take communion, we We remember You and we remember who we are in Christ and it's because we know the truth.